there's this woman who was like sitting next to me like this and she was breathing through her nose just like going into my face oh no and i kept on like turning my head and blowing on her to like wake her up (laughs) wow (laughs) okay so you were both as bad as each other trying to get her to wake up but i don't know if this is gonna be a worst nightmare god planes are disgusting planes are the worst Hey everybody, welcome back to Kara's Podcast, The Human Element, where we look at injecting humanity into modern marketing. Gets you excited, doesn't it? I'm super pumped. You're super pumped. You have to be about eight feet closer to the mic, I'm though. I'm super yeah. pumped. All right, good. Today, we are very excited. We have two of our very own. We have a, a returnee, Mike. Introduce yourself. Hi, Michael Liu. Uh, I work on mobile strategy and innovation strategy at Kara. This is your second time. Second time. It's back it's to a, back. <laughs> back. Well, not back to back, but second time. Second time. And we have a newbie that we're very excited to have at the pod. Sarah, could you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you for having me. I'm Sarah Stringer. I'm the head of innovation here at Kara US. Fantastic. And of course, I am joined by... Chelsea Condry. <laughs> <laughs> That's your I, best I'm intro I'm never going to get it. <laughs> Hi, everyone. And I get yelled at because I don't announce my name. This is Robert Schwartz. I am your intrepid host. So let's dive into it. We're going to talk a little bit about innovation today, uh, since you guys both operate in that space, and it is such a, a sort of amazing and broad area. Let's do this first. What do we mean when we use that word? I mean, it's a lofty one. It sure is. And uh So I've worked specifically in innovation for probably about five and a half years. And I got called up probably about a year and a half into my job being like, can we get a quote from you? Because we heard that any agency that has an innovation department is essentially where innovation goes to die. And I was like, (laughs) cool, this is a really tough job because everyone's expecting me to kind of like come up with everything new. And if it's not coming out of our team, then it's not deemed innovative. So innovation for us essentially means anything that is new or a potentially improved way of doing something, whether that be connecting with an audience, producing a new product, looking at new trends in market. Essentially, our team helps support the rest of our agency in their ongoing quest to do things better. Mike, do you want to agree or disagree? I'd like to get you in trouble here. (laughs) No, I I totally agree. And I think actually from the first podcast, I said very something very similar. I just want to preface here. I'm little under the weather, so if I sound horrible. It's I... that radio voice. It's good. <laughs> it is. It's like Margot Kidder. I don't know who that is. Yeah, I know. It's all right. I have a lot of references you won't understand. Hang in there. No, and our audience won't either. Uh, so do we have uh, an approach or a framework for unlocking innovation for clients? Like, how do we try to organize such a broad space? We've been trying to simplify it because, again, it's such a giant subject matter. So we've been trying to take it down to, like, experiments to build business. So try things out today, Mm. which is going to help you out for tomorrow. That's kind of the simplest way that I can put it, which is, we see a lot of people talking about, like, like, enormous, enormous, like, new technologies or approaches that are coming. Artificial intelligence and blockchain, but... We've been talking to clients about what could you do today to actually get yourself set up for that journey rather than trying to build this perfect thing that you think is going to be the thing that's going to get switched on in like two years time and realizing that that thing you built for isn't actually where the market went or not how that technology was actually being employed. So we talk about like incremental innovation through little tests that essentially then builds up into something that actually gives you a point of view on that technology or trend. When you are talking about piloting 
are you using sort of agile methodology to deliver such a thing? Are you trying to do things in a sort of non-waterfall way to make them easier to execute? I would say, yeah. I mean, one of our products is the brand accelerator that we've been doing. And a lot of it is we work with startups to not only get their technologies, but also their mindset and their ways of working. So it's sort of breaking down the preconceptions of how some of our legacy clients might be doing things around their offices. But how do we adopt the startup lean model? Um, how are they so quick to act? How are they able to do certain things with their data and their platform? So uh, if we can adopt that and work closer with startups, then we can start to hopefully bring that mindset here in our corporation too. And, and what are the major challenges in that? I mean, obviously you've got regulatory and compliance and you've got you know established CIO and IT in, in a lot of these bigger brand organizations. Talk to me a little bit about whether or not you've had victories I won't say over them, but with them to sort of accomplish some of these things. Just to slightly counter the argument that was just made, I think that we would like to think we can employ a lot of agile processes, but the reality is still a majority of the people that we work with, we still have to get through a legacy model in mm -hmm. terms of getting things done. And we, we do see programs that we're excited about then kind of start to slowly grind to a halt and that's through no fault of anyone's like motivation to do it but it's just like I guess the day-to-day -day focus sometimes from a business like other things happen your IT department isn't on board with that or they have another five things that they have to um, make sure that they're fixing for before they get to this proactive program that you might be working on so I do think that we do still see quite a few challenges with that and that to be fair to our clients is not just client side. I think sometimes on our own side as well, like new business comes in, we get like whisked away on new opportunities that we have to work on programs. So in a perfect storm when no one had to have, you know, the realities of financials behind it, it would be easier to then get something like built in 90 days and to market and so forth. But I think the reality is that that happens very infrequently within a media realm. Yeah, that's a lot of their expectation setting from our side. I mean, we might aim for 90 days to complete something, and we might meet in the middle for like 120. Mm -hmm. And we're okay with that. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a lot of sort of what we're trying to do is maybe show them the vision and say, hey, we want to get here. There's a galvanized commitment between us. But if we hit 120, we're happy with that. Yeah, too. 100%. And Same I thing with our budgets, too, the, the 70 2010. If we aim for 10, but we end up at 5 to 6, we're happy with that, too. I totally agree. I was literally about to say the same thing. Yeah, the go same into brain. that. Same brain. Yeah. Mike, go into that a little more. How to inspire funding and make funding actually happen on a brand side? Because it's not that easy, right? Chelsea's asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, so <laughs> we've, we've adopted the the age-old 70-20-10 model. Um, I think it's just something for for us to speak with our clients on that's easy, easily digestible and understandable. 70% of what you're doing that you can spend your budget on is your tried and true, the things that are driving your business, that you're used to seeing the results, you know what's to come. The 20% is how do you improve on that 70? Um, so what are those risks that you want to take that could be improvements to that? Uh, evergreen foundational stuff. Mm. And the 10% is the, we'll have a different KPI with this, but let's start to test something brand new whether it's a brand new partner that we're a little bit uncomfortable on, but we know that there's some potential there, um, a brand new technology, a brand new process, whatever that is. But the important thing is to not use the same KPIs to gauge the success of the 10% than the, the 20 and the, and the 70. Budgets are always difficult. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not a new thing to say, I'm going to have an innovation budget. It's not a new thing to, to set it aside. It's not a new thing to even make it past Thanksgiving yeah. and have it actually exist. What is a new thing is to have it actually exist 
in the new year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a really good point. And yeah, I've had a lot of hopes dashed on great ideas that have been yeah. killed uh, due to due to budget changes. And I think that it does take a bit of bravery from clients to actually not... The first thing to go on a plan is always the innovation budget, yeah. quite honestly. Um, and the reality is, I think if you are a business that has pressure points around sales or performance and so forth, then it is a little bit of a like a canary in the coal mine that maybe there's some other things that need to be looked at in terms of the full budget that you have actually maybe you need to be adapting so maybe that you know if, if you're losing business or footfalls dropping or what have you then it actually might be more of an indicator that some of the tried and true things that you think that you're doing aren't actually working as effectively as they used to be. It's funny that we can have an innovation budget to actually try new things in a perfect storm, but sometimes I think struggling businesses may pull that money away, yet actually they even more so need to actually be looking what at what they the should be innovating yeah. on because if you're losing your relevancy to an audience or um, if you are seeing that your product necess isn't necessarily reflective of what people want, then innovation is more important for you to be focusing on even more than potentially that 10%. Yeah, I mean, it's been true on the creative side of the business for a long time too, right? Yeah. Uh, a lot of the more innovative creative work you see is with people with limited budgets because they have to. Exactly. They have to. So we're talking a lot about brands and all of them, but what about you guys? So this podcast is supposed to be a little bit more vulnerable. And as innovation leaders, what is one of those fail moments for you as innovators? One of the things that... I wouldn't say it was a, a failure, but I would say it's something that we could learn from is we were talking about this early, about our, our Chrome program, Brand Accelerator, and which we aimed for to get a product out to market from ideation to reality within 90 to 120 days. It ended up taking much, 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 much longer. Fill in, <laughs> fill in the time scale. About a year. Yeah, there it is. Yeah. To Strings's point, it wasn't to the detriment of... You know, the overall program, it still was like successful when it launched, but I would say it was a little bit of our side, client side. Um, everybody has people that are beholden to. Like there's a lot of red tape in these large companies that we worked with. Too many pocket vetoes. Too many pocket vetoes. Hmm. Don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you said it back to me like you understood what it yeah. meant, and I love that about you, right. Mike. You're invited back anytime. Thank you. <laughs> Whenever I'm not like on a red eye and completely sick. Sound, voice sounds great. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so what we learned from that is that you know not everything goes your way. So there was a lot of optimizations that we had to make from bringing the expectations of what we need from the client, what our expectations are from them, to build in gates and barriers and milestones each down the way, to make sure that we're not saying, hey, we'll deliver this at the end of four months because things are just going to get delayed. So if we put a cost associated to it, if they don't pass a certain milestone, then they're much more incentivized to actually make it. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that we've learned from that. So we're sort of taking on the whole Agile process on our own side because we have to learn from how we can better this process for our clients and make it easier for them. Flipped it on you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can tell you one that I ran in the UK yeah. for Jay-Z. And uh, we launched the first digital. Just some guy named Jay Z. Yeah, you know, just casually dropped Look, Jay Z in there. I mean, like, oh, I just ran this with Jay Z. Am I supposed to just let that happen? Yes, like, oh, you know. Yeah, you know. I was just hanging with Beyonce <laughs> the other day. I was with Sean Carter. and said, <laughs> My name is Jay Z. Well, we were working for a music client when I was working at a different agency, and we were doing the first digital watermarking campaign within the UK. So essentially, what that meant was it was, an, it was actually a digital watermark that sat on like, underneath the print on a newspaper and your phone through the camera can actually identify it. Mm. Essentially, it's like an ornate 
QR code mm -hmm. that then will launch like a digital experience. But bearing in mind, this was probably about 10 years ago. So this was very much in its infancy. And so we saw the technology. We were like, this will be really cool. We were working with the Observer newspaper, which is part of The Guardian in the UK. And so we had to get the technology and like meet with their printers and stuff. And we tried to get everything printed nationally on the outside back cover of The Observer to, to basically launch Jay-Z's new best greatest hits album and the technology when it got printed just got messed up at the printers somehow and no matter how many times we tested it in the office and it was fine as soon as it went to print it didn't work and made only worse by the fact that the label head that week had had dinner with jay-z and jay-z was like that sounds cool send me a copy right. so i can try it technology just didn't work so then i spent the last week after well the week after that basically after my stomach ulcer had like decreased in size, <laughs> basically negotiating a whole outside back cover for free, getting the technology tested again at the printers, running multiple tests with them to then reprint it that next week. And finally it worked. So then that paper went to Jay-Z and then he could test it out. But the amount of anxiety that you feel and sometimes no matter how much you test something and you think it's going to be perfect and then it happens and yep. it doesn't work, you're like, oh my God, this is terrible. I made a giant mistake on a national level and you right. just have to try and make it good, do something else. Oh, how rude. Uh, that was, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll now be leaving my own podcast. So. <laughs> so yeah, like mistakes happen basically. And it's, I guess it's like, how do you adapt around that? Because sometimes these things just don't work out as you expect. Yeah, I'll add one to that too. So we, I won't go into the specifics. We've really but... hit the heart of it with failure, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. seriously. We're like, give me a failure story. I, mean, I got any, one. Any innovation this is the first department podcast knows. where <laughs> any multiple. Yeah, well, it's true. All right? innovation any... department knows failure. That's and right. That's what makes it successful. You know, we've done programs where we think this is like the hottest thing on the block and we'll launch it and it does like, it's very lackluster yeah. mm. and you have to learn from it. And I think as long as you go into the program saying, if it's successful, this is what it looks like. Yep. If it's not successful, then what can we learn from it to adapt for the next time? What are the characteristics of your best clients in the innovation space? Oh, great question. Open-minded, eager. Yeah. I think you can always tell what kind of client you are when things don't work out as you imagine. We're all learning along the way when it's something that's brand new to market can be very difficult. And I think sometimes clients expect that from media agencies because so much of what we do is tried and tested and there are clear pathways of what a deliverable should look like. In innovation, that's not the case. And so you really need to have a very collaborative spirit between the two. So if things do go awry, that everyone knows that's just part of the process. Yeah, that's a great answer. I think I think also curiosity, um, having a curious sure. client really, really helps because they want to see how X technology or X process could help them and to be collaborative with the agency to, to get that through. Yeah. So really quickly, what brands are doing innovation well? I think Nike's doing it really well. They're using a lot of cultural insight of their consumer and using technology of how their next generation of their consumer, so Gen Z, are consuming content, how they're using technology, and then they're building content based off that, and also real life experiences based off that. So they did this really great thing with this Jordan that got released through a Snapchat campaign. And I forgot what it was, I think it was All-Star Weekend, but you had to be on location on this court that Jordan built, and pretty much have Snapchat open, scan a code, and you'd be able to buy an exclusive drop then and there. And it was using augmented reality and showing Jordan jumping through the air. And so even like from the details of how far off he was from the floor, 
that's how close you know you could get to him um, on your phone at least. And then if you bought the shoe on your phone, you can get it shipped to your house by the time you get there. And so they did a partnership with a dark horse. I think it was their um, it's like a fulfillment uh, vendor to take the shoe, bring it to your house as soon as you buy it. So it was really cool. It was full funnel of you know getting people there, real life experience using digital as well, and then getting delivery. Yeah, I think like IKEA is really great because I think IKEA, to Mike's point, is doing a lot around being culturally relevant. They've really managed to break through in arguably something that you were like, this doesn't need to be. Like the fact that people get super excited about their meatballs. And you're like, really? Swedish meatballs? Okay, cool. The fact there's a Balenciaga bag that looks like an Ikea bag. Uh, the fact that people are now forming their own like crazy masks and stuff and like underwear and stuff out of Ikea bags. Like they've become part of culture, but then they've expanded out their business to understand what are the adjacencies that are really important to Ikea. So what are the things that are a massive pain in the backside when you go to Ikea? So the fact that they actually have car, like car sharing and like um, leasing services, you can actually get a van to put all your furniture in so you can drive it home. Amazing. The fact they've got TaskRabbit for people that don't like creating like their flat pack furniture and actually getting someone to come in and build that for you. Like they've worked out all the things that people hate about it. And then they're like, okay, let's, let's try and build up ways that we can help solve these pressure points within our business. So I think they're super smart and Disney. I'm going to be honest, like Dis I have a giant soft spot for Disney. I worked for Disney for, on, for five years in Australia um, and do work out of the LA office on um, some bits and bobs that we do obviously for uh, Disney parks and resorts. I think their, their touch points around the, the way that people connect with Disney brands, they're so well loved. They create a language that people can understand the world or like talk about the world to like their kids or to their friends and family. And I think the fact that they've created these magical physical touch points and obviously, you know, the launch of um, Galaxy's Edge, which is going to be enormous as part of the Star Wars franchise. And I think through their process, process of acquisitions and the numerous ways that people can now obviously like touch that brand and the fact that they're now launching their, their streaming service and obviously then the implications of that for Marvel as well as um, for Lucas um, film and obviously Disney and Pixar is incredible. So I think as a brand, they're exploring all the different ways that people choose to interact with them and they're working out how they can perfect that, that touch point with them. So I think in terms of innovation, they are great at experimenting and learning and, and pushing themselves to have a deep connection with people. I'll add dominoes on that too. I think we all have like a little crush on Domino's just because they are a technology company as well. They've said it themselves that they're a technology company that happens to sell pizza. Um, I think what they've done from an experience and service side. Mm -hmm. with it is interesting. The tracker and yeah. even from a marketing side by filling in potholes so your pizza gets there sure. smoother, right? So I think from the service and owned aspect and experience aspect to even the marketing side, they're, they're pretty innovative. For some of the brands, like you just named some really big major key players in the spaces that can do some of these really open-minded cool projects. What are some easy innovation wins for brands that might not be as innovative as we think they could be? But what are some really low-hanging fruit that's are easy wins that everyone should be doing right about now? Six-second video, 100%. Like I think everyone should be building for six-second vertical video as like their number one asset and then roll everything else off the back of that. It's crazy to me when people are like, we built out this super sexy 30 and we've got a 90. I'm like, uh, I'm having an anxiety attack because no one's ever gonna be there to sit through your 90 unless it's basically you're one of the most well-loved brands that has super well-loved people in that commercial. I'm like, why are people doing it? I would say from a uh, technology aspect, voice, 
Um, I know that's sort of like another buzzword, but I think that that's grown so tremendously in our industry and, and to people's households. So um, you should be trying that out. Test it out. See if the skill works. And if it sucks, then just keep iterating on it. You know, I think that you can get so much rich data back on the performance of it to see what people are interacting with your brand on voices that, you know, it's very low barrier to entry. Yeah. I think it's useful. one of those. It's super useful. Yeah. Like, because I think the thing it is could that, be useful. Yeah, yeah. People keep going, oh, well, that's just like, you know, we're going to build this thing just because we can. You're like, why would anyone bother coming back to that? I think we're getting to the stage where like skills are becoming like the new mobile phone app when it, when like just because you could, should you? And I feel like now so many people have built these like deserts out in like Alexa and Google Home where like no one's going to find you because they don't need you. And it's like really think about what's helpful to people in this space, because I feel like at the moment we're seeing around voice, like obviously listening to podcasts, which also podcasts, 100 percent get on board. But the fact is that what podcast music, weather, news, they're the strongest things that you can do on voice. If they're all super useful things for people, yet we have people that are like building out apps that are like, they were just like one and done things. And you're like, that's fun for the very first time you're going to do it. But how much money is it costing you to produce that? If there's no repeat usage, then you have to argue, did you build something that people even care about? Yeah, it's a great point. And we see it time and time and time again. Um, so I want to jump into something that we have called the lightning round uh, before. Are have you, you ready? done this before? I feel I like not. I'm at a no, disadvantage. No, Mike, we make some things different here. Oh, you did this really wow. deep. We did this really deep question the last time. Oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> this is all which he did not like. He did not like. All right, real quick. Um, favorite application? Pocket. I've been using Signal. Yeah, it's actually a private messaging app, uh, which no one Super can track. Shady. <gasps> Whoa! Sorry. That is my Apple Watch listening to me, which is ironic because I said Signal because I'm worried about my own personal data and then Siri's just casually listening to me. Uh, you know, I'm, so I'm glad perfect. you're using your private messaging app yeah, because, because you don't have any other else. issues. Yeah, yeah, no, you don't have any other issues. Nope. nope. No leaky bucket there. No, I'm just a, apparently I'm just a full leaky bucket. This is terrible. Okay. So uh, favorite piece of content that you've consumed that could be Written word, video, podcast, anything. Okay, I'll go first on this one because I feel like it's on the top of my brain because I recently found out that someone else who also really likes this podcast. So I listen to My Favorite Murder, which is a mm -hmm. true crime comedy podcast. Um, and uh, I recently referenced it actually during our Media Basics training and a very senior member of staff who was in that training just checking out how it was going sent me a note going, murderino, question mark. And I wrote back, stay sexy and don't get murdered. So it's always nice when you meet someone in the community where you're like, I did not expect you to be into that, but you're into it. So it's cool. Yeah, real life comedy murder podcast that's like that's a it's, phrase yeah it's yeah it's a true crime comedy podcast thing that's how they describe it all right yeah. well, there you go um i would say my favorite podcast and blog is shatekery and their podcast version is exponent by ben thompson um, big fan of his they just break down technology and strategy and and the businesses that are driving a lot of our decisions and a lot of our habits uh, like amazon and google and facebook so and netflix so what are they doing what are they acquiring and uh pretty much what's driving that. Is that you're definitely getting kicked you, out. Yeah. 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 Say, is that like being timed out on the Oscars yeah. where you're like, it you actually, can leave now. That, that alarm said, if Mike's talking, shut the whole thing down. Uh. <laughs> wow, we got okay. played off. Well, is that the first time someone's been played off the no, podcast? No, 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 no. James also said I was rambling last time. So wow. Here's my favorite part about the lightning round so far. It's been longer than the regular answer. Yeah, that's yeah. So let's keep okay, at it. Yeah, that's good. Okay, okay cool. Um, cool. Favorite piece of career advice you've either gotten or received quickly? 
Uh, remember all the stuff that you like doing outside of work because it makes you good inside of work. Huh. Damn, that was so good. Ah, uh, yeah, that's my best one. <laughs> Mine is um, love what you do. I mean, I'm blessed to be able to, you know, enjoy what I'm doing here and obviously work with, with strings and the people on our team. So if you love what you do, then it's not really that much work. For a split second, I thought you were going to go love the one you're with. I'm like, this could be an interesting pod. Another <laughs> reference I <laughs> don't understand. I, I, I'm over for 3 now. Yeah, I don't need that from Didn't you. Didn't we call right? him Baby Mike in the last podcast? We did. So wow. It's making sense Baby right now. Mike. Baby Mike. Baby Mike is back. So it's it's, a, long, it's a long story. It's, it happened in India. It was... What happens yeah. in India stays in India. Apparently Let's not. move it along. Uh, if you could create anything, uh, something, you know, a utility for folks or a new business model or write a book, you know, on some topic. If, if you could create something, what is that thing that's sort of burning in you that you're like, ah, that, that's something I wish I could create? I just feel like I've been so interested in why the younger generation are going to be so into other people's, I guess, validation through social. And I'd love to make something where it kind of breaks down those walls because I think we're getting so addicted to it. You know, me, myself, and just people that I see online are so addicted to it. And I just want to find out a way for us to get back to reality. Oh. I'll sign up for that. Yeah, right. Um, I think I would like people to stop hate, hating advertising because we actually make advertising something valuable to people rather than it being the mm. bane of everyone's existence. I'd love to create a service whereby we actually offer people something that's so valuable to them that they actually enjoy advertising, that they seek it out. It's actually something that is helpful to them. Um, More meaningful. More meaningful, yeah. And actually just give people value back. Like, quite honestly, I think as an industry, we've been stealing people's data for a very long time. The whole industry has, and we've been offering them very little in the way of, I know Mike's like, stop talking about it. No, but people people have been unaware of how much data has been captured, and I think that there's every opportunity for the industry to actually start rewarding people for that interaction rather than just taking it without their knowledge. There's no chance we're cutting that. <laughs> but I'll be fired next week. <laughs> nah, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. <laughs> I have a lot of sway around here. <laughs> um, I cannot thank you both enough. You guys were absolutely fantastic today. Is there any final thought you want to shout out there before we let you go? Be excited about random weird stuff and work out if you could potentially use it. If you're interested in something and it activates something in your brain, there's every possibility that we'll be able to bring something to market with it. So never think that you don't have a voice or an opportunity to test something out. Come and chat to us and we'll see if we can do it. That's awesome. Uh, Chelsea, I think you got to take us out. <laughs> I hate when you make me do this. Oh, I like it. So human. It's called the human element. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Uh, you can find us and hear us on anywhere you can find a podcast. Um, and we'll be back next Friday. Oh, I forgot the one thing I wanted to mention. Damn it. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I'm not saying my speech again. <laughs> 